So we have the Kittina almsgiving festival coming up. And it's uh, great to have the occasion for this again every year. And it's a occasion that commemorates harmony, the harmony that comes through sharing and respect, mutual respect. Mm. People go out of their way to come to the monastery, drive, make an effort, organize, work, get things going. The idea is as many people as possible can be involved with it, the better it is. It's not just like somebody writes a check at home or does some digits on their bank account or something and sends it off. And the idea is that people actually make a physical effort and get it together and organize it with other people. And what, so it isn't one person's trip, it's everybody. The more people you can bring into it, the better, because that's what enriches the quality of the dana. Is the number of people who've been able to participate, and the and the efforts one's made to make it possible. <laughs> it's not supposed to be easy, and that you know it's going to be something because there's more effort, more energy, more cooperation, more give and take has gone into that. You know, when you work together, it means you've got to be able to give time, attention, let go, accommodate, cooperate, you know, struggle, work together, you know, and it's a much stronger quality of parami, of merit and virtue that's generated through such an occasion. You know, the act, the physical thing itself can literally need only be a piece of cloth. But we've noticed, you know, often people deliberately make it more, uh, you know, like I was in the account of a um, village up in North Thailand where they said, okay, well, what we'll do, we'll pick the cotton just after dawn, spin it into thread, weave it into cloth, you know, so we can offer it to the monks and then take it and then they make the robe and dye it, and dry it and present it. So the amount of effort that went into that well, you could have just gone to the store and bought some cloth. <laughs> you know, actually go to the effort of picking the cotton, making the thread, and doing the whole thing in one day. You know, and the idea was everybody in the village could do something towards that. And kids could do something, everybody could do something. Mm. You know, and it's just one piece of cloth. Mm. Everybody gets in on it. And that's what gives, makes it stronger, dana rather than somebody gave a million pounds, which, of course, would be good too. <laughs> but in terms of, the, you know, what are we looking at? Really, what are we, you know, what are we looking at? Getting wealthy? Or making people strong? Are we looking at luxuries, furnishings? Are we looking at Convenience? Are we looking at making people bond together, cooperate, unify, get strong? What's the greater merit? <laughs> One guess. Okay. Yeah. 
and, uh, and so also the monastery. The idea is the monastery also leans. Okay, we like it quiet. We like it simple. We like it. Okay, let's just open it up. Make an effort. You know. And we get stronger. We get to accommodate and cooperate and tidy up and you know it be that it's uh, it makes us work together and it's a strengthening effect from that rather than it's just all you know nice and easy and they come at the right time they're quiet drop your check in the box and go away you know <laughs> don't bother me no I want to meet you you know and accommodate you uh, with your kids can come you know granddad can come everybody can come you don't have to be that mindful <laughs> that attained that, that virtuous you know that's the idea of the, these things is you kind of open it up because you realise dana is the is the beginning of the dhamma it's the peace you can reach and right in this dhamma and discipline the whole theme is you know we've got a raft and it's an ocean and there's people drowning and struggling in that. So you want to throw them out a line, they can get on the raft. If they can get on the raft through, you know, giving a handful of rice, bring it in, you know, get them in. Give them a chance to, to, to hold on, you know. And that's, that's the generosity of the Buddha, which he did, you know, for his, for his dying breath. Never turned anybody away. Hmm? His dying breath, still saying, anybody got any questions? You know, That kind of, didn't need to do that. Didn't need to, never have his own place. You know, he's always on the move, staying in monasteries, so never his own. Uh, taking people on, bandits, criminals, you know, courtesans. The whole society, if you can get on the raft, get on, you know. And all kinds of people would live up to and respond to that kind of quality of deep, steady generosity of heart. Yeah, so we can perhaps consider well some of these stories about the Buddha may be, you know, apocryphal, maybe coloured, but you can see the general impression of what's being coming across uh, yeah, saying you know sleeping two hours a night rest of the time teaching people devas you know the whole thing mm. of course he had a huge stock himself of treasure to dispense a huge powerful resource mm. but that's kind of like the, that's the sort of model you know and you realise also the quality of dana as a dhamma, not as a material, you know, charity, but as a dhamma, as a dhamma practice. The giving quality makes you stronger than you thought you were. Because it, it actually brings up your nobility. And the, uh, of course, various kinds of dana that one can generate obviously there's financial dana there's um, material food there's um, medicines hospitality just sharing accommodation taking people in 
and highest dana offering dhamma, which could be attention, advice, support, presence, you know, a whole range of ways in which one can offer dhamma. And it's not just words that do it. And so, you know, this in a way defines kind of one of what a monastery is, you know, just trying to figure out what is a monastery. It's the people, and it's not just the people, it's the people in this environment of nobility. Hmm? There's nobility to it, it means you give yourself up. Everybody's giving a bit of themselves, you know, giving a bit of time, a bit of effort, you know, accommodating. Then it uh, truly is, you know, what in English we call monastery. I think it's, I think it's an inadequate word. Because it's not a kind of cloistered, shut-in place, tucked away. It's a meeting place of people bringing forth their qualities. And for that you have to, you know, have that sense of openness to it. And uh, right in the centre of that, uh, encouraging people towards giving themselves. You give yourself, you get stronger. Mm. Mm. I mean, classically, you see that example of the great matriarch Visaka of Sawati, who's the Buddha's leading or preeminent lay female disciple who wanted to make alms offerings to all the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, make sure they had enough medicines for the sick, gruel if they're going on a journey, bathing cloths, all the kind of things like that. She has to ask the Buddha whether she was allowed to do it. She was a very circumspect person. The Buddha said, hmm, hmm, what will you get out of it? Interesting. What will you get out of it? She said, well, if I do that, I notice that every monk or nun who was in Sawati who came through, I'd supported them. And that would make me glad. And that, when that gladness arose in my mind, my mind would be settled and steady. And the factors of awakening would arise in me. This is why I ask this privilege to be allowed to make an offering. When you look at that little piece, that's an incredible piece of teaching in that. It's a privilege to be able to be allowed to make an offering because the result will be the enlightenment factors arise in my mind. Right? So it's not just, oh, because I, I like them so much, they're nice people, <laughs> which she might have done, of course. But no, it wasn't the ones I liked, just any of them. You know, any of them. Anybody who comes here, any of them. <laughs> and, you know, what does that mean? You could get some people who were not so good, some arahants, some crazy ones, who knows, but no. 
Yes, there they go. Yeah. Making the commitment to that. I'll support it. And you look in the books of the Vinaya, you can see a lot of them were pretty substandard. You know, failing in immorality or whatever, but she was not doing that. It will make me glad, my heart will be glad I have made that offering. The enlightenment factors will come into my mind. So, you know, it's dana as a piece, as definitely a step in the process of awakening. So this is the beauty of a, a dana as a dharma principle. Everybody wins. Yeah. It's a privilege to be able to make an offering. And if you don't receive the offering, I can't make it. So we say, you know, this is why it's the recipient allows the dana. Allows the merit to be made. So this is the way we look at it. And it's not personal even. Certainly this was the theme when I first showed up in Thailand on a kind of don't know where I'm going sort of existential quest <laughs> and okay some, somebody teaching meditation free obviously just rock up okay sit there 15 minutes of meditation trying to meditate what's all it's about so I asked the monk um yeah, I mean, uh, is anywhere I could do more of this? As monasteries? Yeah, come and stay in a monastery. <laughs> that was it, you know, like, not, well, let's have a look at your credentials, you see, <laughs> just know. Dhamma has touched you, come and stay. Here's where you go. Go down to the monastery, which was, a, you know, couple of hundred miles away, packed up my things, got down the road, turned up the monastery, gates were open, wandered in. Kuti. Oh, they knew I was coming. Kuti opened up. There you go. Sit there. There you go. Okay, next day, you must go see the abbot. So, went to see the abbot. What do you come here for? I said, uh, I want to stop wanting. Oh, very good. You can stay. <laughs> End of the interview. <laughs> Off to the cootie. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, and it's partly because of the, I think it's the openness of the offering you know, the selflessness in the offering. He didn't owe me anything. I wasn't going to support his monastery. I wasn't going to give him anything back. It was just the openness of the offering meant you were made noble by it. You said, look, you can't fool with this because that's a very open, uh, you know, offer of accommodation, trained practice, teaching, food, support. The openness of it brings forth your integrity. So, okay, I've got to live up to that. And that's kind of the way this 
process works, yeah, with that quality of open-hearted dana, the person who receives it realizes, I've got to live up to that. I've got to live up to that. Brings forth the nobility. Mm-hmm. So the person who makes the offering strengthens their resolution, clarity, metta, all that. The person receives it also uplifted. And that's kind of what kept me going. I was there in this kuti nearly three years, two years, eight months, I believe it was, in this kuti. And the only thing I asked for, because I made a principle of not asking for anything, was the ask permission to go arms round. And I said, okay, you go on through. Because I felt I wanted to be in the thing, not just looking at it. I wanted to be in it, involved with it, participating in it, and out there where it, in the street situation where that fulcrum, that turning of faith, generosity, renunciation occurred. You know, so you go along the street. I didn't know anything about anything. But you go along the street, and it's like people are just five o'clock in the morning, people are stumbling out and pulling themselves together. And they see the monk come along. Oh, a little bit of hubbub. Stop there, you know. And, then, and stop, stop, and somebody comes out with a little bit of rice, and they put a spoon of rice in the bowl. And you go on down the road. So the next person, who's he? I don't know. They don't know me, I don't know them. We didn't have any conversation, they didn't, how are you doing? Nothing. And just take the lid off the bowl, put the rice in the bowl, and make Angeli there, off you go. And you think, and then you go, wow. I used to go through the market, there was a covered market, and... Um, there was one store where this woman used to sleep on top of her market store. It was a very poor woman, I guess. So she'd never home, maybe. She used just to sleep on top of her market stall. And so you kind of walk by, and she'd, she'd hear the monks coming, she'd oh, no, get up, old woman. And she'd, no, 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 no stop, stop, stop. And, and she'd rake around, and she'd find some of her rice she'd had, I guess, the night before. And she'd kind of, break up the old rice and you come out and you're cackling and smiling and you kind of put this spoonful of rice in your bowl. And then that was her day where she was set up for the day. And uh, you think, oh, she looks so poor, you know, poor woman, it's kind of ragged, barefoot, sleeping on a market stall. Uh, but, uh, you know, sometimes you think, if I just walk by quietly, she won't hear but, you know, she always knew. And if you walk past, you come, hey, come back. <laughs> so put the food in the bowl. You know, so you get that. And you go back to your cootie having had an hour or so of that. And you think, right, you know, that amount of heart 
has gone into that, you know, free will, how you're going to spend your time. You're going to commit yourself. You're going to meet your edges. You're going to bear up with things you wouldn't normally bear with. You're going to, you know, put up with difficulties you wouldn't put up with. Because it wasn't, clearly it was a kuti, but, you know, mosquitoes, cockroaches, it's not, it was, it was as good as they could offer. And that's what, that's what worked. You know, if they said, what kind of, you know, kuti would you like? <laughs> yeah, and you choose, then you get, it spoils it. Puts it in the wrong perspective, doesn't it? And say, this is, this is what we have, open offering for you to practice in. Brings up your sense of, well, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to start choosing and picking when that's been presented, that quality of your heart's presented. You have to rise up and say, that's exactly what I want. I'm grateful. Because of the quality of the heart that's gone in it. They're not getting anything, you know. They've got no reason to support me. Particularly, why shouldn't they? They've gone out of their way. Okay, I'll give myself up to that. And that kind of kept me going, really, all that time, because the meditation was tricky, difficult. I hadn't done anything before. Well, I'd done things before, but nothing of that nature. <laughs> you know, I'd done psychedelics, I'd done all kinds of stuff, but, you know, which is just. There was no parami in that, no strengthening. So I certainly got an idea that there's consciousness is to be explored. Absolutely, you know. But this wasn't what I had in mind. And yet, this is the kind of, the sober way to do it. Yeah. And, but not easy. Not easy. But the thing that kept going, that was one thing, kept going, was because of the, just the, the selflessness and open-handedness of the generosity of spirit shown. And so, in the end, that's one of the things that got me into becoming a bhikkhu. Because there I was, so, you know, in that, in that place, they didn't really have an Anagarika training. You know, even the little boys running around nine years old, summon errors. And they're kind of little boys doing what little boys do, running around in a monastery, shouting at each other, and the monks would kind of, give them a, just learning how to be a human being. And they weren't super mindful, super anything, but they were little boys. But because they're in the place, and, you know, there's a load of adults around, you know, kindly but firmly put them in the place, they, they shaped up. Uh, and that was one of the duties of the monastery, you know, to be that refuge place for beings. Um, people, kids who didn't have enough food, parents couldn't support them. So they go to the monastery. You're going to get fed, you learn some politeness, learn some respect, learn some strength of character, you come out as a good person. You don't have to stay as a monk even, but just be there and develop your strength, your parami. And then, fine, go your own way. Monastery's not asking anything back. 
and that not asking anything back, open-handedness, this is the noble dana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, well, I thought, really, that's yeah, pretty amazing. Here I am, I'm not even a tie. Rock up at the gate, take you in. But then it was okay, you know, I became a summoner, I was fine. Then, uh, well, I said, well, what about come Bhikkhu? Oh, Bhikkhu, really, seems a bit too committed to me. I don't know, if I want to kind of keep, I don't know if I'm really ready for that. So, discuss, talking about, okay. And then what really clinched it was they had this, um, I think once or twice a year, they had a big, open retreat and this would be what would happen would be all the the lay women who had been supporting the monastery would come to the monastery for 10 days and they'd all take the eight precepts and wear white and they would just be there for a meditation session they do this 10 days or so and they'd all sleep on the floor of the sala so you go in the sala there's this kind of heaps of women <laughs> Just lying down on rattan mats, <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> just uh, astonishing. Just that they did it without a single reservation or complaint. Just okay, you know. And uh, then they, then the abbot would go and give them a talk, and then you see them all walking in a line up the hill, doing their walking meditation and listening to dhamma talks and chanting and stuff like that. And and, uh, and there were seven hundred of them. <laughs> In the monastery, <laughs> as you can imagine, seven hundred, <laughs> and nobody turned a hair. I was like, "Yeah, fine," <laughs> you know. And because of that, and they were prepared to just sleep on the floor, you know, give up renunciation. It worked, and. Uh, they said, well, you know, what they really would like so much would be wonderful if they have the opportunity to sponsor a monk. That would be the absolute cherry on the cake of their 10-day session. If they could just have somebody who wanted to be a monk, a bhikkhu, and just they could stump up the robes and whatever, and somebody could do it, they just feel so delighted, it would just make their... Their, their time here special and I thought well these are I really respect these people giving up so much of their time you know they work and then they sacrifice themselves sleep on the floor sit and meditate for this and the other I could do it yeah why not I can give myself I can give myself that's what I do I just give myself to it and yeah so I did. It's amazingly, when you get into this dana culture, it's a, there's an infectious quality to the, to the spirit that comes out of it. We say, oh, just give yourself. You know, and you feel strong. Rather than give yourself away and you feel weak and depleted, you feel strong. And what did you give? You gave up some of the comfort, the convenience, the knowns, the security, the... You know, whether I like this, whether it make me happy, will I be enlightened, is it worth my while? You know, 
do I really need to do this? Perhaps I could do something, you know. It's going, God. And then they'll say, is he good enough? Is he wise enough? Is he straight enough? Will he stay as monk for life? Is it worth my while? Just, just stop. <laughs> you know, this kind of stuff. And just the spirit speaks and give. So that's how I got in. And uh, it was an extraordinary occasion because the monastery I was at didn't have a seema ordination precinct, so we had to walk a couple of kilometres into town to where there was an ordination seema. And we had to do it in this very slow walk, which was the Burmese Satipatthana walk, where you walk very slowly. And there were 700 women behind me in a line, I think two or three abreast, we were walking along in this kind of incredible procession and there was a little pickup truck in front with a guy with a camera photographing it all. So we did an incredible walk and I'm wearing this white kind of gown with lotus flowers in my hand and I thought, oi, 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 you know. <laughs> a little kind of lotus, fly, lotus flower in my hand and wearing white negligee walking along at this creeping pace through a town in Thailand. I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> you see, if you give yourself, you give yourself. <laughs> and so then we, we got to the, the monastery and, it, and somebody actually lifted me up, this big guy lifted me up and carried me over the threshold. I thought, what is all this about? So you're giving yourself there you are, you're being given. And it really kind of came home. And so though, you know, <laughs> this wasn't about <laughs> a meditation system. It was just straight shot to the heart. <laughs> right? It's not an intellectual teaching. It, 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 in a way, it's kind of cumbersome, clumsy, weird, funky, on one level. But on one level, it's just straight from the heart. They didn't know me, I didn't know them. Just dana, give yourself. And I felt good. I felt it was the noblest thing I'd done in my life. And you get to feel, this is what nobility means. And I hadn't even didn't know what that word meant as an actual quality where you, you sit a bit straighter and you, you put things down that you pick up and you pick up things that you put down <laughs> and you bear because of that quality of, of will take you in. Yeah. The other thing that kept me going was going to the once a fortnight party walker recitation which was the recitation of the training rules. We had to go to those, so we go to the temple. All these monks would gather or didn't know, couldn't speak the language. We just all sat there, and then one old monk would get up in the chair like this, and you know, got a bottle of water there, wet his throat, and he just stopped rolling out this chant, and he'd sit there. Don't know what's going on, on one level, but on another level, you know what's going on. You know the community is gathered, listening. This is intention. This is 
intention, powerful intention. And now you are part of it. There wasn't some place set aside for farangs or newcomers. Everybody was in it. Gathering of intention. And you you realize this is something that's been going on for 2,500 years. And you're in that gathering of intention. And you come out of that and you walk a little bit brighter. And that's kind of what kept me going, really. Mm. None of these, you see, uh, no personal analysis on that. And um, no personal examination or comment. You know who you are. You know what you're doing. You better know what you're doing. This is the place to be truthful. It's up to you. You want to mess up, it's up to you. And because of that, you don't. Because you're given that trust, you don't. And, uh, yeah. Then I came to um, Britain because my father died. So, very confusing. And what I'm doing. So I knew there was this place in London, Hampstead Vihara, where Monk Sumedha, who I'd met by chance in Chiang Mai, North Thailand, knock up the door, knock on the door, door opens, there's this big man standing there. Oh, come in. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? Come in. just come in and find your place and we'll sort out the details later so you know maybe I could stay a little while yes and so and then we went off to this uh, place in Oxfordshire which somebody again had just offered a place you can stay and uh, yeah, it's, uh, and it was all because of that, that uh, openness, you know, people didn't complain. Because there's nobility in it. It wasn't a personal scrutiny. You weren't, didn't have to feel nervous about whether you're good enough. Because mm, mostly you think you're not good enough. So, but that was not the tune. Whatever you think you are, as a person, maybe right or wrong, but this isn't about that. This is about the spirit. And we've got to give that a chance. And if you give it a chance, it's going to get stronger, and those defilements and hindrances will kind of gradually fade out. And that's, that's the basic intention. That's the basic movement. And the giving. And once you begin to recognize that, and so all the difficulties that arose were actually gifts. Yeah. And there were plenty of them. Yeah. It was difficult to food, there was food shortages, so we didn't have breakfast. Uh, didn't, you know, we just had 
black tea. If sugar ran out, it ran out, that's the way it was. And you could complain, and get petty, or you could see it as a chance to be strong. And, okay. Yeah. Strengthen yourself. And so then we came down here. Again, another massive giving. Uh, because it was an occasion. It was presented. It was a rough place. It meant you've got to give yourself to this. And you won't regret it. Because it will bring out your strength. And although there were plenty of difficulties and rough edges and the meditation was rocky at times, I think it's always like that. But you're getting beyond what you can do from that particular place of me as a separate person trying to figure out where I'm going and you drop into something which is about just the giving of oneself and that's got tremendous strength to purify and clear out the petty grumblings and hankerings of the mind you know after a fifth vasa, is this Dal Ajahn Sumedho, we just called him Ajahn Sumedho in those days, he spent a huge amount of time just going out to any old group who'd invite him, he'd go and give talks, just because he felt it was important that people got to see a monk. And visitors came, they will take it in because he felt it was important that people got a chance to see uh, summoners in Britain and... Um, and visitors came, okay, place you can stay, you can sleep on that rotten bit of floor over there, because <laughs> it was pretty rotten, and people loved it. Because you had to rise up, and uh, you realise a lot of the ordinary way of life isn't to rise up, it's to get something that will lift you up but it's not to, to rise up from the heart the idea is you try and get things easy or comfortable so you can sink down in them <laughs> you try to get a, a soft patch somewhere where it's tidy and clean and polite and nice and comfortable and warm then you can sink, sink down because you deserve it <laughs> and, you know and that attitude of in, in, entitlement doesn't it's one way of looking at life and you can run it but it doesn't give you strength and it doesn't make the mind noble Hmm. yeah so then fifth vasa he said okay you've got five vasas they need somebody to teach a retreat up in Northumberland go and teach a ten day retreat okay I don't know how to teach you a 10-day retreat. Find out. Okay. Go up there. And then, uh, oh, they're creating a little monastery up there. Why don't you go and start the monastery? They didn't ask. It was just, that's what you do. Okay. So we went up there, tour myself and another bhikkhu and an anagarika. 
up in Northumberland, trying to rebuild this derelict old shepherd's cottage as a so-called monastery. No manual, no instruction, no support. Do it. <laughs> okay, and uh, just do it. And so you just do it, and you get on, and you do it, and it's rough, and you're dirty, and you're tired, and you don't know what you're doing, and you break things, and you do it. And the quality of the, the commitment and the doing means that's what comes to mind, all the rest of the inconvenience disappears, because you're living in that spirit. When I actually talk about the details, it's quite horrifying. There was no hot water, absolutely nothing, no hot water. There was one cold water tap, didn't even have a drain. It was a big bowl, so if you wanted to wash, you'd have to stand in the basin, it was a big basin, and throw cold water over yourself in this kitchen, because there was no bathroom. (laughs) You generally did it when people weren't cooking. (laughs) There wasn't a lot of washing going on, actually, to tell the truth. There was no heat. And this is Northumberland in the wintertime, no heat. Snow used to come under the door because the door didn't meet the floor. We had to knock all the plaster off the walls to put a damp course in. And the wind would come through the walls because there were holes in the walls. So you get wind, cold wind blowing in, and there was no heat. And uh, nobody complained. Because complaining just makes you feel bad. So you stop and you just do it. And you support each other uh, through it all. And it brings up, so it's it's a gift. In that sense, hardship is a gift. When it's like that, It's not, you know, because it brings up your strength and uh, the grandeur of the heart. You accommodate the inconvenience and the discomforts and things like that. And you accommodate people, which is even more challenging. And uh, I think when I first went to Amrawaddi, which was crazy. Um, doors of the death are open. Yeah, they were open, all right. <laughs> it didn't seem like the death. It seemed more like a nut house. Because <laughs> I was, I think I was the guest monk, the stores monk, the secretary, and the vineyard master, and. Uh, receptionist at the same time so you know, and uh, I had my little place right in the front of the monastery so anybody who came in came to me and there was all kinds of well politely strange people <laughs> turning up <laughs> and the idea was okay open up you know so we opened the place and uh, so then you're trying to get a community around that and you say I have to explain things because this person didn't have a lot of English and this person 
had some English but didn't have, their head wasn't all that clear. So you've got to say it again and then, no, please don't, and could you not do that? And do, yeah. Could you, yeah. And so you're explaining all these things to people over and over again and then getting it wrong. And, and you get so exasperated. And then finally, you realize the only thing you can do is love everybody. Because <laughs> otherwise you're going to go mad. You don't love them because you like them, because you realise, look, you're either going to go nuts trying to make everybody right and perfect and clear and, and tidy, or you just say, just love them all. That sense of open heart to it. And take everybody, yeah, take them all in. Yeah. And uh, you stop being so fussy. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you use the structure. So, well, you know, okay, it's been a crazy day, but I can fold my sitting cloth at the end of the day, tidy, take my sangati, put it tidily over the robe rail, put my hat and coat on and get into my sleeping bag because there's no heat. <laughs> Another perfect day. <laughs> I don't want to glamorize hardship as an essential thing because hardship for many people is miserable and undignified and you know, and, and horrifying the hardships that people on this planet have to bear with. I'm not glamorizing it. Maybe it sounds like it. What I'm saying is, you know, that what came in that situation, you know, meant you, you had to meet it and bring forth your strength. Because if you don't, you're just going to go under. So that's where I say nobility is bred, because the powerful, most powerful kind of Dana is giving yourself, and that occurs when Dhamma is given to you, and Dhamma comes in many forms. Yeah. As teachings, as occasions, there's your responsibilities of your Dhammas, your responsibility to your teacher, to your disciples, to your trainees, your responsibility to them acts as a dharma, sometimes you don't get exasperated or fed up or feel tyrannized or don't want to get but you just say, okay, we're in this together, work it out. You know, that's our this is a dharma thing. This is not, you know kind of just buddies. <laughs> and Lumbo Cha particularly was very, very powerful teaching through that particular modality of of uh, a relationship. You know, where you take people on, and it was intimate, which is amazing, considering you know people there were. 
But Lumpur Cha would spend most of his day giving himself to particular people. Wouldn't just kind of lecture, but this person comes, he gives them that, meets that person. This person comes, he gives them that, he meets that person. He's meeting, he's giving them different approaches, different advice, but the main thing he's doing is meeting this person as she or he is and giving them something that would suit them. Yeah? And then they go. You know, he's not saying you've got to like, so sometimes it'd be very difficult things you give people. Yeah. And sometimes strange, very strange things. I mean, with this Anagarika who went to Thailand, he was real, a lot of thinking going on. He'd sit and kind of, you know, bend over and obsessive thinking. Couldn't stop thinking, agitated thinking. So he went to Thailand and went to see Lumpur Chao, meditation topic to clear his mind. And Ajahn Chah said to him, well, what you need to do is eat a lot and sleep a lot. Eat like a pig and sleep a lot. That will sort your head out. <laughs> I don't know if there's, it worked or not, but you could see he was prepared to, you know, not just read the book, but actually try to meet the person where he was at. And I think Rajan Vajira was mentioning the other day, we had a, an Agarika at Hampstead who was a chain smoker. So he'd kind of, you know, smoke. And uh, he tried to give up smoking, but it made him so, so unpleasant that he was fighting in the kitchen because it's anagarica. Well, he didn't get his fags, he didn't get his smokes, he'd get really irritable and angry. So Ajahn Smeda forbade him to give up smoking because <laughs> he was hell to live with. <laughs> so he's in this flesh, you know, where there's this kind of monks, pure monks, and he's having to have a cigarette and so forth just to, just to keep going. And Ajahn Chah turns up. Ajahn Chah turns up. Ajahn Chah quite liked a cigarette now and then. He'd quit it, you know, because he thought it was ignoble. But in this Anagarika, who drew that fantastic drawing that we have, that fantastic pastel portrait of Ajahn Chah, he spent years working on that, at least a year or two working on that. He was one of his obsessive minds, but he'd smoke. And uh, so Ajahn Chah kind of, this Anagarika, and then, uh, okay, so, so Anagarika's, Having a cigarette, and she goes, oh. Oh. so he says, "Roll me a cigarette." <laughs> so Santa Garica rolls him, rolls out in a cigarette. He goes, oh, smokes a cigarette. Roll me another one. <laughs> so they got into making him cigarettes for Ajahn to smoke, because it was a sense in which he brought this kind of person in who felt they were not, you know, pure enough or adequate or, or angry, and he just do what he can to reach out and, and give him some sense of comfort, you know, and, and companionship and acceptance. Uh, you know, and that's kind of, you know, that's a dhamma, isn't it? Acceptance. Acceptance of another person. You get one of those, somebody sees 
you know, your limitations and so forth, instead of saying, you know, actually says, come on, we can be in that. Yeah. So that you feel met and encouraged. Is that is that kindness? Hmm? So yeah, that sense of you know, giving from a noble intention to to support, to encourage, to stop people being so self-critical, obsessive, and and so particularly with Westerners who are incredibly obsessive and self-critical, Upa Chah would often do these kinds of gestures, and he'd do other things to other people. He could be incredibly severe. But the sense was, whatever it was, it was always that sense of offering, you know, to try to meet the person, to bring out what they needed in themselves. It wasn't asking anybody to like him, approve of him, join him, or anything. Just, this is for you. And because of that, those occasions would stay with a person. They'd remember that for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And that's that's the big picture. Yeah. Which when you come from a Buddhist background, there's a recognition of, you know, like who's going to be in our hand this lifetime? Probably not many of us. Maybe none of us. We're doing time. We're doing time in Sangsara we get out when we've done our time. And maybe we're not going to get out this lifetime, so let's just keep bringing forth the barami and encouraging so we stay on the raft and we take with us long-time impressions that give us faith and encouragement and companionship. And we do that. And we don't know how long this story is going to go on for, but this is what we can do for each other. And you do that, you give the person the strength to bring themselves up. That's dana. That's the keel. That's one of the main planks of the Dhamma raft. And that's why it is that way. You know? So we live in a strange times. Yeah. And, you know, I, what else have I been with this 40 45 years or so and times have changed and it was it was very rough and very crude and and now it's quite sophisticated and we have incredible government bodies and procedures and things working things out and I, and I can't fathom it or figure it what's going on or why do we have to do this but you know so you see someone like the senior people who just give themselves to those tasks. With yeah. mm-hmm. a hundred emails on their gadgets from various committees and things they've got to do and just give themselves to it. For a sense of, you know, whatever else, if we're all acting in that way, getting outside of our convenience, outside of our comfort zones, we're going to support others and we'll get strength ourselves. And this is always the long-term, you know, barami, strengths, 
that you're building up. And on top of that, yeah, you can do some, maybe some refined things. Great. And you realize your retreats are special, those occasions when you can have good samadhi are special. They're not to be dismissed. But what really counts is not just states, but traits. States can be exceptionally fine and subtle, blissful, so forth, or horrible, boring. But traits are, are we going into selfishness and me and mine and I don't want this and I don't want that and I don't like her and I don't like him and this doesn't fit me. Are we going into that or are we going into bring it on? You know, rise up, open out, because that's what the big Dharma Dhan is about. You know? And that's, that's how, what's kept it going. You know? uh, surely, yeah, there have been some noble uh, enlightened ones and great teachers they're like 1%, 2%. Most of the voyages on this raft are people who are just paddling, pushing, 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 doing the work until their baramis are ripening. And we don't know how long that takes. But we take the example of Visaka, saying you do that, you know your mind is straightening. You know your direction is turning. Certain very important characteristics and attitudes are being firmly established. Whatever else goes on, you can't, you can't regret that. You can't, you can't doubt that. And there's no turning back from that. This is why it's such a available and powerful Dhamma door. So, it's my offering for this evening, and it's been, of course... Uh, uh, you know, as it so often is a privilege to um, be able to make an offering of Dhamma, and uh, I hope it's for your welfare and things you something you can reflect upon. Thank you. <laughs>